Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. Ghostthropology presents discussion of ghost stories and beliefs, and how we share ghost folklore, and importantly, how belief in the supernatural reflects who we are. While I don't know when or where or how you are listening, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 49, Dudley Town. This is one of the great stories of American ghost folklore. While not as well known as the Amityville Haunting, the Winchester Mystery House, or the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, anyone who has an interest in American ghost folklore will stumble upon Dudley Town early in their research. In the early days of the internet, when we were all using America Online, dial-up was the rule, and Wi-Fi sounded like science fiction, I came across mentions of Dudley Town on the then-new and now-antiquated websites hosted on GeoCities and Angel Fire. If those sound made up to you, ask your parents. I'd been able to piece together most of the story when I found the webpage of Gary P. Dudley, a distant relative of the people after whom Dudley Town was named, who was able to put the rest of it together. In Cornwall, Connecticut, there is a location within the ominously named Dark Entry Forest, that is said to be amongst the most haunted locations in the Americas. The location is the ruins of Dudley Town, a once prosperous town that was founded by a cursed family and was doomed as a result. All that remains now are the cellar pits and odd bits of a rock wall where once there were buildings and fences, and there are those that say that spirits or demons also remain. Legend holds that Dudley Town is the earthly receptacle of a curse that began in 1510, when Edmund Dudley was beheaded after it was revealed that he was conspiring to overthrow the King of England. Edmund's son, John Dudley, tried to marry one of his three sons to Lady Jane Grey, thus entering the royal family and making room for the Dudleys to ascend to the throne. And both John Dudley and his son were executed. Shortly afterward, John Dudley's second son returned from France, bringing the plague with him and unleashing an outbreak that killed thousands of people throughout the British Isles. John Dudley's third son decided to flee an obviously bad situation and left for the Americas in 1630. Once there, he had sons who would later settle in Connecticut. Or... An alternate version is that Governor Thomas Dudley of the Massachusetts Bay Company was the uncle of the four Dudley brothers who settled in Connecticut. According to this version of the story, Thomas Dudley was a horrible tyrant who executed those who were not Puritans and was responsible for numerous deaths. One or more of the people he tortured and put to death cursed him and his family. Thomas Dudley met a bad end when he was quite literally hacked to death in the place that would become Dudley Town, and it is unknown who or what killed him. But regardless of the exact version, two brothers from the Dudley family, Barzelier and Abiel, founded Dudley Town in 1747 after returning from service in the army during the French and Indian War. Abiel and Barzelle were later joined by their two brothers, Abijah and Gideon, 
These four were not the only people who settled in the location, but given that the presence of the brothers, their wives, and children resulted in a large number of Dudleys in the locale, the name Dudley Town stuck. The settlers who came to Dudley Town had to fell trees and remove rocks from fields, using first the wood and later the stone, to build their homes. They grew what crops they could in the poor soil of the area, but it was never enough. The soil was too rocky, and the placement of Dudley Town between several tall hills ensured that direct sunlight was a rare commodity. Agriculture was a lost cause. However, the trees were chopped down and turned into charcoal which fed the nearby ironworks. Life was rough and the work was hard, but the people persevered and built up the town. Life may have been tough, but it wasn't anything out of the ordinary for the people of the time. Still, as the decades wore on, the Dudley brothers all passed away. The last left alive was Abiel, who went insane and began ranting about strange hoofed creatures with green eyes that stalked through the forest at night. Understandably, he became very, very fearful. Eventually, he was unable to take care of himself and lost his fortune and even his home. He died a pauper. While Abiel was still alive, Nathaniel Carter bought the unfortunate madman's house in 1759. Some say that Brazili sold Abiel's property to pay off his own debts, indicating that Abiel was not the last Dudley after all, but this point is treated inconsistently. After displacing the poor mad Abiel, the Carter family moved out of Dudley Town in 1763 and went to reside in a homestead near Binghamton, New York, but somehow left their 13-year-old son behind. The result, rather unexpectedly, was a stroke of luck for the teenager. A Native American raiding party attacked the Carter's New York homestead in 1764, gruesomely killing and scalping Nathaniel Carter, his wife, and even their infant child. In 1774, Nathaniel's brother, Adoniram, and his entire family died of a strange and to this day unidentified illness that spread through Dudley Town, thus adding more deaths to the Dudley Town curse. And the horror kept coming. In 1792, Gershon Hollister is said to have been murdered at the home of William Tanner. Tanner was found innocent, but the episode tarnished his reputation. Afterward, Tanner reported seeing strange animals in the forest, as well as demons, and this eventually drove him insane. In 1804, General Heman Swift, an aide to none other than George Washington himself, was living in Dudleytown, but was away from home assisting General Washington. His wife walked out on the front porch and was killed after being struck by a bolt of lightning. Upon his return home, General Swift learned of his wife's death and began to lose grip on his own sanity. He began to speak of seeing strange demonic creatures, some with hooves and others with horns, wandering the area. In 1813, another plague hit Dudley Town, leaving yet more deaths in its wake including either half or even all of the Jones family. Why the Jones family is specifically mentioned is never clear, as they aren't really relevant to other parts of the story, but that they suffered so many deaths is always mentioned. Mary Cheney was born in Dudley Town in 1811, and the curse followed her after she left. She married Horace Greeley, who would eventually become a candidate for president, and who was famed for the advice, Go West, young man! Her husband's campaign for president failed, but it is open to question the degree to which that mattered to him as, one week before the election, 
Mary had hung herself. Her husband spent the election in mourning. As the 19th century wore on, crops failed, farm animals routinely vanished without explanation, and unexplained deaths continued. By the end of the 19th century, only the Brophy family, transplants from elsewhere who arrived in 1892, remained. First, the Brophy sheep began to vanish. Then, the Brophy sons vanished, though it is worth noting that they were wanted by local law enforcement, so on the lamb might be a better description than vanished. After a few years, Mrs. Brophy died of a strange and, to this day, unidentified illness. After her death, Mr. Brophy was sometimes seen around Cornwall wearing torn and worn-out clothing and muttering about demons. Several years after Mrs. Brophy's death, the Brophy house burned to the ground and Mr. Brophy vanished, perhaps a victim of the strange entities that he had been witnessing. Dudley Town remained abandoned to whatever demons Mr. Brophy had encountered until the 1920s when Dr. William Clark, a pathologist from New York, decided to build a summer home at that location. Things were quiet until 1937 when Dr. Clark left on a business trip, leaving his wife behind. When he returned home, he found her in an upstairs room, cackling to herself, having gone quite mad. She never recovered and never spoke another coherent word. She eventually died in an asylum. Dr. Clark was the last resident, but the Clarks weren't the last people to encounter evil at Dudley Town. In the 1950s, a teenage boy reported to the police that he and his girlfriend were chased down Dark Entry Road in the vicinity of Dudley Town by a strange hoofed creature with green eyes. This led to many other locals sharing their stories of encounters with the otherworldly at Dudley Town, and soon it was well known that the strange specters and weird creatures hid in the woods, that odd people were found to be skulking about at night, that the remains of strange rituals could be observed by people who went looking, and that even the occasional UFO was spotted by anyone caught in Dudley Town at night. Nowadays, local folklore tells of a satanic biker gang that enters Dudley Town to hold rituals. People report being attacked by demonic creatures with cloven hooves and strange green eyes. People also report seeing shadow people, floating balls of light, or dark human forms rising up out of the cellar pits. Other reports talk of having weird images show up on film or in digital pictures, and that animals seem to be strangely absent from the area. One location within Dudley Town is reputed to be an energy vortex, where the laws of physics appear to be routinely violated. In the 1980s, a TV news crew arrived to film a story around Halloween, only to have their equipment, which they had tested before heading to Dudley Town, fail while they were on location, and then work again once they were off-site. Commentary As ghost stories go, this is one of the greats. Dudley Town is creepy, famous, and a real place, all of which makes for a good story. The story of the curse, the demonic creatures having been sighted by residents, and the fact that the ruins are still there, though entry is prohibited by the current landowners and people do get arrested for trespassing, so really, stay out, all make this particular tale all the more delicious as ghost stories go. 
I have known about this story for decades, and back around the year 2000, I spent a good number of work nights staying up later than I should have, poring over web pages with information on Dudley Town. I was somewhat obsessed with the subject for a short period. I kept some notes on it and even had an entry about Dudley Town on my old ghost story blog that made use of what I had gathered at that point. I know now just how incomplete that was. However, I was sparked to create this episode a few months back when my wife sent me a TikTok video in which a young woman described a version of the Dudley Town story that was far more sensationalistic than what I had previously read, and she insisted that Dudley Town had been made off-limits to the general public as a way of covering up the actual supernatural events that occur there. Seeing this video and reading some of the rather absurd comments that accompanied it inspired me to dust off what I had, do yet more reading, and produce something to set the record straight. Unfortunately, for all of the giddy, creepy thrill that the legend of Dudley Town supplies, it really doesn't stand up to any sort of scrutiny. Gary P. Dudley, a distant relative of the people for whom Dudley Town was named, did extensive research on the location in the late 1990s and early 2000s going through municipal and county records, making use of genealogical data, reviewing documents from the local historical society, and even visiting the location. By the way, he reports that, contrary to the stories, animals are very much present in the area and are easily seen and heard. He documented his study on a website that is no longer active, but can be found through the Internet Archive and in a book titled The Legend of Dudley Town. His book is the only source I could find that presented genuine research into the legend and the historical facts of Dudley Town, rather than simply providing sensational accounts. As such, I'm going to be very reliant on his book and website in this commentary. Let's start with the ancestry of the Dudley brothers. They were not related to Thomas Dudley, whose exact ancestry is unknown, but the Dudley brothers can be shown to not be amongst his nephews or descendants. What's more, Thomas Dudley was not hacked to death and left in the field where Dudley Town would eventually stand. In fact, he died of old age in 1653, long before the birth of the Dudley brothers after whom Dudley Town was named, and he was certainly not their uncle, as is often claimed. As for Edmund Dudley, he was, indeed, executed for conspiring against the King of England, but both historians now, and many people of the time, considered his execution to have little to do with trying to overthrow the king. In fact, he was one of the king's primary advisors and supporters. His execution was due to a need to find a scapegoat for economic hard times that hit England. His children were involved in court intrigues and politics, but there was nothing to indicate that what they did was in any way substantially different from the sorts of political maneuvering that other prominent aristocrats were getting up to. What's more, this line of the Dudleys would eventually migrate to other parts of Europe, not the Americas, and the first known ancestor of the Dudleytown Dudleys was not connected through kinship or marriage to the line of Edmund Dudley. So these were different branches of the Dudley family with only a distant and very old connection. Even simple details of the town's history are incorrect in most accounts. Gideon bought land in 1747, so we presume that is the date when the Dudley brothers first arrived, and it would therefore appear that it was Gideon, not Abiel, who was the first to settle in Dudley Town. Also, it is often said that the Dudleys began arriving in 1747, after the French and Indian War, but 
the French and Indian War began in 1754, a good seven years after the Dudleys arrive. In fact, the timelines offered in most versions of the story are pretty messed up, with Thomas Dudley as the Dudley brothers' uncle, despite having died long enough before their birth to make that impossible, and the Edmund Dudley version gets the date of Edmund's death right, that is, 1510, but he has a grandson traveling to the Americas 120 years later, which seems rather unlikely. This legend needs a proofreader. What's more, there were only three Dudley brothers, not four. The brother Abijah appears to have been added to the story due to errors in town records that misrecorded Abiel's name. Information in the records make it clear that Abijah was, in fact, Abiel. Dudley Town itself was never actually a town, but would be better described as a satellite settlement or even a neighborhood of Cornwall, and therefore it did not have its own town hall, cemetery, or other municipal features that many tellings of the ghost story attribute to the location. A short but accurate and useful write-up of Dudley Town's history was provided on its Wikipedia entry when I accessed it while writing the old blog entry on October 23, 2013. Quote, Dudley Town was never actually a town. The name was given at an unknown date to a portion of Cornwall that included several members of the Dudley family. The area that became known as Dudley Town was settled in the early 1740s by Thomas Griffiths, followed by Gideon Dudley and, by 1753, Brazili Dudley and Abiel Dudley. Martin Dudley joined them a few years later. Other families also settled there. As with every other part of Cornwall, Dudley Town was converted from forest to farmland. Families tilled the land for generations. Located on top of a high hill, Dudley Town was not ideally suited for farming. When more fertile and spacious land opened up in the Midwest in the late 19th century, and as the local iron industry wound down, Cornwall's population declined. During the early 20th century, old farms in Cornwall were sold to New Yorkers seeking a better life in the countryside. Much of the Dudley Town area land was acquired by the Dark Entry Forest Association, which planted thousands of trees. During the 1930s, New York's Skidreverian Club spent their winter weekends hiking on trails they built in Dudley Town. In the summers, they canoed down the Housatonic River." Unquote. If we restrict ourselves to just using the information provided in the common versions of the story itself, pretty much everyone who is said to have died or been driven insane by the curse actually died of much more mundane causes. Let's take Abiel, who is quite elderly at the time of his death, around 90 and possibly older, and about whom the town records indicate that he had symptoms that would today be diagnosed as dementia, not uncommon for someone his age. He was not put out in the cold to die, as is often insinuated but not outright stated, but rather was made a charge of the town, which means that, in a day and age before social security and retirement plans, he was being taken care of as best the community could manage. Moreover, the number of people who were said to have died in various versions of the stories is, actually, well short of what you would expect for a rural 18th or 19th century community. Even the two periods of disease spreading through the town were, in fact, relatively small for a town of the period. Altogether, the compiled data about deaths attributed to the curse tends to indicate that people in Dudley Town were actually 
less likely to encounter outbreaks of illness like cholera and more likely to live to a very old age, indicating that being in Dudley Town might actually have been good for your health. So, you know, not so scary that. Even the mysterious or horrifying deaths turn out to be more mundane than legend would hold. Records show that Gershon Hollister was not, in fact, murdered, but instead died due to an accident during a barn raising, and none of the town records indicate even a suspicion of murder. Several members of the Carter family did, indeed, die during a raid, but they had moved to a homestead in a place where there was an ongoing active conflict with the native population, and such deaths were not uncommon. What's more, the children did survive, and one son, David Carter, even went on to work for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. General Swift lived in another part of Cornwall, outside of Dudley Town, and, like Abiel, was quite elderly when he is said to have gone mad, so it was probably just dementia again. It is said that he was serving George Washington when Mrs. Smith died in 1804, but George Washington died in 1799, so General Swift would not have been out with him in 1804. Mary Cheney did not kill herself, but died of a lung disease, likely tuberculosis, in 1872, and she had never been to Dudley Town, much less been born there. Her death is especially easy to trace as she was married to Horace Greeley, who, as attested to by the fact that he was a presidential candidate, was a very prominent man, and therefore easy to track. The Brophy sons, as noted in the story, had trouble with the law and were actively being sought when they vanished, so it is likely that they were simply on the run. Mrs. Brophy died of tuberculosis, not some strange, unknown ailment. The house burned down in 1901, and after that, according to town records, Mr. Brophy didn't vanish, but simply left town. Harriet Clark, the first wife of the pathologist who bought the land at Dudley Town in the 1920s, did die, but in New York, not Dudley Town. What's more, she died in 1917 or 1918, prior to the purchase of the land around Dudley Town. Dr. Clark did marry again, and his second wife does not appear to have gone insane. In fact, she appears to have continued to live in the area after her husband's death in 1943. What of the decline of the town in the 19th century? There is plenty of evidence that the town was deserted, not because of weird supernatural goings-on, but because the location turned out to not be economically viable in the long term. The location has a shortage of fresh water and rocky ground coupled with low light levels during the day due to dense vegetation and topography, making it a terrible place for agriculture. The main industry that developed here was the creation of charcoal, but by the late 19th century, most of the trees had been cut down, removing the raw materials. What's more, charcoal was largely used for industrial iron foundries, but with the creation of the Bessemer process for steel production in the 1850s, steel became a more important metal and foundries shifted away from charcoal and towards other fuels better suited to the new technology. This essentially killed the charcoal industry, but even with the now open fields devoid of trees, the rocky soil and placement of Dudley Town in an area with limited direct sunlight and water still prevented agriculture from becoming a significant industry in the location. Dudley Town declined throughout the 19th century, and while people still lived in the area, it became largely depopulated by the early 20th century. Eventually, the trees grew back, and it once again became a thick forest, dark even in the daytime.
So there is little backing to the claims of the curse. The data just doesn't support that Dudley Town was especially unfortunate, except in some very predictable ways that one could have anticipated without the need for a curse. Gary Dudley traces the origin of the ghost stories back to the 1938 publication of the book They Found a Way, in which aspects of the curse were first articulated in print, with a focus on the strange deaths. Dudley notes that it is likely that elements of the story already existed in local folklore. It isn't too terribly odd a thought. After all, a literally shadowy location with an abandoned town? If you don't make up a ghost story for that, then you are just being lazy. Regardless, while the Dark Entry Forest remained private and was largely used only by members, a public trail, in fact part of the Appalachian Trail, did lead through it, and visitors could gain access to the remains of Dudley Town with minimal effort. Through the 1970s and 80s, a number of magazines and newspapers ran articles about haunted Dudley Town, further cementing its reputation as a supernatural hotspot now with ghostly apparitions to complement the history of weird deaths. This turned Dudley Town into a national phenomenon and attracted visitors with an interest in ghosts, including a significant number of ghost hunters and amateur paranormal investigators. All indications are that most of these folks took care to be respectful of the property and the people living in the immediate vicinity of the ruins. However, it was apparently not unheard of for some of these folks to not only enter the, again I must stress, privately owned dark entry forest lands, but also to stray into the yards of neighboring homeowners, some of whom appear to have been dark entry members, and also vandalize the site. The story was further embellished in the 1980s by Ed and Lorraine Warren, who authored a book titled Ghost Hunters, in which they discuss the various strange horned, hoof, and part-animal entities that people allegedly saw in the forest. Gary Dudley, in his own research, found many different versions of the Dudley Town curse and ghost stories, but the first mention he found of people seeing these strange creatures was in the Warren's book. He could find nothing in local folklore or writings that contained these elements, he seemed to be of the opinion that the Warrens had simply made them up, and it is possible that they did. At the same time, it is also possible that, with the influx of ghost tourism during the 80s and 90s, these stories began to spring up organically, and the Warrens were just the first to put them in print. Regardless, they were not part of the folklore prior to this latter period. The Warrens also reported the tale of the film crew that came to Dudley Town and found that none of their equipment would work on site, but, of course, it all worked perfectly before they reached the site and after they left it. But Gary Dudley, in doing his research, found that more than one film crew had been on site at Dudley Town and successfully filmed there, including one in 1992 from the State University of New York. Gary Dudley himself had absolutely no trouble videotaping his own visit to Dudley Town in 1999. It is, of course, possible that a film crew did visit Dudley Town and experience equipment failures. But that is not an unheard of event in places not thought to be haunted. And the fact that others had no such problems here suggests that either the equipment was damaged or the users made errors, rather than the location supernaturally interfering. And that, of course, assumes that there is any truth to the story reported by the Warrens. Following the publication of Ghost Hunters, it appears that visitor traffic to Dudley Town, and hence the instances of trespassing and vandalism, increased dramatically. 
In addition, unsafe behaviors on the part of the ghost tourists led to potential liability problems for the owners. This led to the Dark Entry Forest Association, the group that owns Dudley Town, closing the property to visitors, even forcing the relocation of public trails off of Dark Entry Forest Association lands to prohibit public access. Law enforcement was called when vehicles were found at or near known access points, and over time, people visiting Dudley Town slowed. And this brings us back to the TikTok video that my good lady wife sent me, in which the person who made the video flatly states that the Dark Entry Forest Association clearly knows that something otherworldly is happening. Otherwise, why would they prevent access? And the answer is, of course, quite simple and mundane. Access was shut down because people who bought into the hype surrounding the place engaged in vandalism and reckless behavior, creating a nuisance and also potential liabilities for the landowners. Dudley Town was not closed to the public because of supernatural happenings. In fact, it had been open for decades, but access was eventually shut off because much of the public who went to Dudley Town behaved like jackasses and forced the Dark Entry Forest Association's hand. Of course, I don't expect that this explanation will change the minds of anyone who already chooses to believe that there is something more sinister happening. Even without knowing the specifics, once I heard that Deadly Town was on private land, I assumed that it was not open to the public for safety and for preservation purposes. It's the obvious reason. So, if your mind automatically went to conspiracies, well you are probably going to stick to that conclusion despite the obvious real reasons. The story of Dudley Town appears to be the story of a settlement that was placed in a bad location and eventually failed, leaving behind ruins. These ruins, in turn, would eventually give rise to the folklore of a curse. The folklore may have started with the publication of They Found a Way, or that book may have been informed by local folklore. Regardless, the folklore continued to develop, eventually reaching a national stage with the publication of stories in the 70s and 80s and attracting members of the ghost-curious public. From there, with the help of the writing of the Warrens, the story developed further and is still in development to this day, with online sources adding further layers of ghosts, demons, and now weird conspiracy theories. It's an interesting case study in that, by peeling back some layers, we can see how the folklore changed over time and built on what came before, resulting in a prominent doctor's early 20th century vacation home becoming a site of demonic lore and conspiracy theories. What is fascinating to me is that nearly every verifiable thing happening in Dudley Town is easily explainable based on what is known of the time and the place where events occurred. The deaths were pretty normal, and the abnormal ones actually suggest a healthier-than-normal population. The disease outbreaks were fairly normal, and the decline of the town is quite normal. Storytellers have had to bring in completely unrelated deaths and events to beef up the body count. But even with those, there still doesn't seem to be anything particularly unusual. But once the seed of a curse and of a ghost story is planted, it takes on a life of its own and soon ghost stories develop and become the organizing framework by which all events at Dudley Town are viewed. So now, rather than death being something that happens when one reaches old age and ill health, every death becomes another element of the curse, and every odd event becomes a portent of doom. This becomes self-reinforcing, with people seeking the area out in order to have a supernatural experience, 
and then spreading stories of what happened to them. Perhaps some people did have odd experiences, but others are likely to simply feel the need to create stories. And from here, even something as mundane and straightforward as a landowner shutting off access due to vandalism and trespassing becomes a sign that they really want to keep people away from their dark supernatural secrets. All of these things only look sinister if, one, you look at them through the lens of ghosts, demons, and curses rather than a standard historical approach, and two, you accept a lot of false information as true. I find this particularly interesting as I have often argued on the show that ghost stories and supernatural lore are often a way for people to frame and discuss matters that they are unable or unwilling to confront more directly, or to allow aspects of history that people consider important to stand out more strongly, and I still maintain this is true. However, Dudley Town shows that the use of supernatural tales to frame history can be a double-edged sword potentially warping the picture until little historical truth remains and only paranormal fiction stands. Even knowing all of this, I love this story. It still creeps me out. And if I ever find out that I will be visiting Connecticut, I will check to see if the Dark Entry Forest is again open to public access. If it is, then I may very well pay it a visit. <music> If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!